April 14th, and I want to read a quotation from this. It says, Citizens paraded the streets with bands of music, fireworks were set off, and the best feeling was manifested by everyone. What happened on April 14th which would cause people to go out in the streets with such excitement, with bands, and with fireworks? Can anybody imagine what would have happened on April 14th? A, a parade? The day before tax day. We got our taxes done and we're going to have a parade. Well, this was a little bit misleading because I left out one other fact, one other important number. This was on April 14th of 1860. Remember that, DA? That was a good year, wasn't it? <laughs> on April 3rd, 1860, 11 days before, the first official delivery of the Pony Express began in St. Louis, I'm, I'm sorry, St. Joseph, Missouri. Amid great fanfare and with many dignitaries present, a mail pouch containing 49 letters, 5 telegrams, and miscellaneous papers was handed to a rider. At 7.15 p.m., a cannon was fired and the rider bolted off to a waiting ferry boat. Around midnight, 11 days later, on April 14th, the first mail pouch was delivered via the Pony Express in San Francisco, California. That seems pretty interesting, but think of everything that took to go from Missouri to California at that time. The Pony Express was set up to provide a fresh horse every 10 to 15 miles, and every rider would be changed out between 75 and 100 miles. Total, the average speed of the Pony Express was... 10 miles an hour. Can you imagine trying to communicate with someone and communication goes at that time a blazing speed of 10 miles an hour? I want to put that into perspective and I want to talk a little bit about our communication and the speed in which we can share information to other people across the country or even quite possibly around the world. How fast can you share something, let's say over the telephone? How quickly, if a horse can go 10 miles per hour, how quickly do you think that you can speak to somebody on the other side of the world? Well, you would think that it would involve the speed of sound, but that is actually incorrect, mostly. If you're holding a phone up to your ear, the time it takes from which your mouth makes the sound and it gets to the receiver, that is the speed of sound. However, once within the phone, it's transferred over to electricity and then it travels almost the speed of light. So, how many of you in here know how fast light can travel? Does anybody know some? How fast does it travel? One second. It travels one second. How far do you think it can go in one second? 
Does anybody in here, surely you kids have learned something in your science classes? I don't pay attention. You don't pay attention. All right, so there's something we know. Guy, Becky, that's a, you're, it's something to be proud of. It really is. The speed of light, if you were to put it in miles per hour, it would be somewhere in the neighborhood, I believe, 670 million miles per hour. Well, it's kind of hard to quantify what 670 million miles is, so let's just break it down to the second. The speed of light and the speed at which you can communicate through the phone is approximately 186,000 miles per second. To try to put that into perspective, 186,000 miles per hour me a second. I'm sorry. Is how is is the time uh, it would take for you to go around the world seven and a half times? One second. That's how quickly we're able to communicate. Let's go back to the Pony Express just one more time, so we can get an understanding of where we are and where we were and where we're going to be in just a second. <laughs> If I wanted to communicate with my good friend Troy Allen in Florida, if I wanted to, to ask Troy a question and get an answer back from Troy, and I only have the use of the Pony Express, it is going to take 10, I'm sorry, it's going to take 150 horses, 10 men, or 10 riders in 13 days if I ask him a question and he responds back with an answer. That would have been blazing fast at the time. It is hard for us to imagine life without telecommunications. We've lived with it our entire lives. Some of you didn't grow up with cell phones. Some of you didn't even grow up with your own line. You had a party line in which you and everybody else in the neighborhood would listen to as you were talking to someone else. It's hard to imagine that. But there was a time when smoke signals and the Pony Express was our mode of communication. Things have changed a lot. It's hard to imagine a world without telephones. This morning, I want to ask you to imagine the unimaginable, to think about the unthinkable, to try to go back into a world that didn't involve this right here, the New Testament. We've spent over a half a year, almost an entire year, looking at the Old Testament and looking at some, some stories that took place years and years ago, thousands of years ago. But this morning, we're going to reintroduce the New Testament and take a look at it. Trying to describe the New Testament is like trying to convey to someone the beauty of a sunset, a star-filled night, or the Grand Canyon. Just went to Arizona last year and got to see the Grand Canyon. The most expensive camera that you could set up there and try to take a picture would not even come close to describing the majesty and the enormous size of the Grand Canyon. To stand on the edge of that canyon and to look down is terrifying and amazing. And looking as far as you can see, you 
can't see where it ends in some places is just breathtaking. Describe it just can't happen. Trying to talk about life without the New Testament is like describing the taste of homemade chocolate chips, the smell of a rose garden, or the sound of your favorite song. You ever tried to explain or describe what a certain food tastes like to someone who's never had it before? (coughs) Having a life without the New Testament and trying to describe it is like trying to describe the feeling of a first kiss, holding your newborn child, or achieving your greatest accomplishment. So much is wrapped up in the New Testament and how it challenges and changes our life that we have a difficult time thinking about life without it. So, what do we know about the New Testament? Well, we know this. It's 27 books long, 260 chapters, 7,956 verses, 138,020 words, and in the English, it is 838,380 letters long. It's really not that big of a book. Most of you who would sit down to read a novel is substantially longer than what we have within our New Testament. Well, what exactly is in the New Testament? There's births, baptisms, under two years old. There's a story of herds of pigs falling off a cliff and a sleeping boy falling out of a window. Do you remember that story? That's the story of Eutychus. Eutychus did the unthinkable. He fell asleep during church. And that is why we have pews two feet off the ground and we don't sit in window sills while I'm speaking. Just something to think about. Hearts are pricked, hands are pierced, and an ear is cut off, all in the New Testament, which, by the way, the ear gets put back on. That's Malchus in the story of the garden. There's multiple translations, desert temptations, and a mountaintop transfiguration. Lame walk, deaf hear, and the blind see. One man was blind is allowed to see, and all he sees is trees. And Jesus heals him completely, and then he's able to see people. Lepers are healed, Christians are killed, and scrolls are sealed, all within these 27 books. People are stoned, hung, and crucified. There's a bright light on the road and a dark night in a garden. We hear about all types of animals, camels and cows, donkeys, dogs and doves, eagles, fish, fox, gnats, goats, horses and pigs, leopards, lions, locusts, maggots and moths, pigeons, a rooster that crows three times, sheep, snake, sparrow, 
turtle doves, wolf, and possibly a partridge, though we're pretty sure it was not in a pear tree. Lots of stories of animals in the New Testament. There's parties, there's feasts, and there's enough leftovers to last a long, long time. People travel down roads, through countries, and on water. Literally on water. Not in the water or over the water. Jesus and Peter are examples of this. There's mock interrogations, false accusations, and lying witnesses that would lead to the death of an innocent man. There's a story of a braided whip, overturned tables, and coins flying almost as high as the doves who were released from their cages in the temple. A man is struck down for lying about how much he gave to the church and his wife was followed right behind him. And from all this, we get words that we can hardly pronounce and certainly can't spell. Words like justification, sanctification, propitiation, and undoubtedly my most favorite word to say, transubstantiation. The idea that when we take communion, that when it goes into our mouth, it actually becomes the body of Christ and it actually turns into the blood of Christ. Lots of words, lots of thoughts, lots of stories. From these over 800,000 words, we get a lot about the New Testament and learn so much about God. And one word that really stands out, really what encompasses the New Testament, is salvation. Salvation, which is motivated by love, afforded through grace, and given by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the story of the New Testament. But it's not just a story. It's not just the story. This is God's story. The New Testament is God's story, and we are included in it. The New Testament is our story. Prior to the New Testament, God worked exclusively through a group of people who were known as the Jews, of which none of us are, and none of us would be included in. When they were wandering around in the desert, eating quail and manna that came from heaven, we would have a dry mouth and nothing to eat, because we weren't God's chosen people. And the New Testament changed everything when Jesus came. We are a new creation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. At one time, we had not received mercy, but now because of Jesus Christ, we receive mercy. The New Testament is our story. It's our story of salvation. How pivotal, how pivotal is the New Testament in our lives? With it, we are offered everything. Without it, we gain nothing. It's the story of God's love and His grace and His forgiveness brought to each one of us. We are the church which begins in the New Testament. 
without those 27 27 books, without those stories which are encompassed within those writings, we have nothing. We're still waiting for a Messiah that would come into the world and redeem the Jewish people, but we would have no understanding that it would go to all the Gentiles, us included. The New Testament involves many people like Peter and Paul and Mary. You like how I threw that in for you old folks. You'll know those those people. But it also includes Ron and Jackie and Brandon. This is our story. Every one of us sitting in here, we are beneficiaries of the New Testament and the grace that is offered through us because of what takes place in the Bible, in the New Testament, we have access to God through Jesus. Before that, we couldn't go there. Do you remember in John chapter 4? Jesus is at the well getting a drink of water from a Samaritan woman. Remember, she's a Samaritan. That makes her a Gentile. Do you know what the definition of Gentile is? Not a Jew. It's kind of like here in the States, there are two types of people in the States, right? There's Texans, and there's people who aren't Texans, right? That was a little funny. Come on, help me out here. There's more people here from Texas, right? There are Texans and there are non-Texans. There were Jews and there were not Jews. There were the haves and the have-nots. There were those who were blessed by God, those who were called by God to be His people, and then there was everybody else. And the New Testament broke down that system and it infuriated thousands of people who loved the fact that they were the only ones who were God's people. And they hated the carpenter who came in and said, I am the Son of God, and I am telling you that salvation is available to everyone. And in John chapter 4, the woman says, Hey, you Jews, you go into Jerusalem to worship, and we don't get to worship there. And he says, The time has come when you will no longer worship in a place, but you will worship me in spirit and in truth. That is our story. Without the New Testament, we're Gentiles living in Hobbes who have no access to God the Father. This is a fantastic, amazing, radical story. Without the New Testament, we have nothing. With it, we are given access to God. Forgiveness through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in us, given to us through God the Father and His Son, Jesus. This is the New Testament. Testament is a word we almost use exclusively in a religious setting. Most of you don't talk about testament very often, unless, of course, you decide to make that trip to the lawyer, and you go visit him, and you have written down your last will and testament. Testament is a covenant. It's a contract. It's a promise. This is the new 
promise made for each one of us. A new promise that says salvation is available to you Gentiles. You pig-eating Gentiles, it's available to you. Those of you who are on the outside, those who couldn't enter into the inside of the temple but had to remain on the outside, those of you who didn't receive the blessings of God, now you do. It's the new promise made by God through His Son Jesus. And it's for each one of us. It's not just an old book that has been closed. It is a living, breathing Word of God that reaches forth thousands of years and thousands of miles and lands right in your lap. It's your story from God so that you might not only receive that story, but you might share it with the rest of the world. It's the promise. The promise from a God who loves us. That He wouldn't leave us. And that He would never stop loving us. Starting in two weeks, we're going to begin looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be talking about some different things. We're going to be using some words that maybe you're less familiar with. Words like exegesis and hermeneutics and synoptics. All of these play a part in what we're going to be studying over the next several months. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come and join us in class as we look at some of those words and talk about what does the New Testament really mean and how does it apply to us, if it does apply to us today. But there's some of you right here right now who've heard the stories, you've grown up with the flannel graph, but you've forgotten that this is the story of a God who loves you, who chose you, who died for you. He rose and He's coming back for you. What an amazing promise by an unbelievable God. I pray this morning that you will believe in the promises that we have through the New Testament. And if you don't, if you're struggling with that, I want you to know that you can come here and we will pray for you and we'll lift you up. If you're ready to say, you know what, I want to believe in this story. I know that there's a God and He sent His Son and He died for me and I want to die for Him. We want to open up that opportunity and and allow you to be baptized, to allow your old self to die and to be buried and to to rise up as a new creation and be filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's... What you want to do today, don't let anything stop you. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and sing.